So today's the ninth. Let's get into the Proverbs just for a minute. I'm going to give you a special proverb today too, but today uh, being the ninth, I chose verse 10 from chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I have another one that I'm going to give to you. Here's the background on this. Um, I remember years ago in a church being visited by a, um, a, a guy who was actually was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. His name was uh, John Garlock. I think it was, maybe it was Christ for the Nations. Somewhere he was a preacher, and, a, and, a, and I can't remember, but um, his parents had been missionaries to West Africa. In fact, his mother, uh, well, they, they wrote this book that was a stories from um, West Africa, and at the time that they went, which was in the 20s and 30s, that area of Africa was known as the white man's graveyard. And... Um, because a lot of missionaries went there and didn't come back. And it wasn't because they stayed and lived out their lives. Their lives were very short there. And, uh, and so th- he, th- he had this book. The title of the book was Before We Kill and Eat You. <laughs> interesting. So interesting book. So I'm not here to push the book, but, um, but, but John um, would come and he would preach these messages and he always would share a, an, an African proverb. And um, they were fascinating, interesting, and one time I talked him out of his whole list, and so here's one of them. Not to know is bad. Not to want to know is worse. That's great. That's great. I appreciate that. So two Proverbs today. Today we're going to start a new series, and um, I want to lay some groundwork for the series in Acts chapter 3. This won't be our text for today. This is more like the text for the series where we're going to go. And so um, Peter's preaching, and he's talking to the um, Hebrews of the day. So he's preaching to his colleagues who are, at that point, they're not following Christ, or they're just kind of trying to figure things out. And so here we go in Acts 3, um, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. He's talking to them about how they used to live, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Now here comes the conclusion, and this is the premise for where we're going to be for the next several weeks. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Amen to that. Verse 20, here it is. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And um, that's going to be our theme over the next several weeks, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Because we need times of refreshing, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, how many, how many of you, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've experienced in your walk where you've, you know, you've had some, maybe a, a season of dryness. And uh, it's maybe then it's followed up by this time where there's plenty and, and maybe some faith. And then one more time, you, you have a season of doubt. And uh, have you ever seen that cycle? Has anybody, ever, has anybody else gone through that cycle in their life? Okay, six of us. Six honest people out of a room full of blatant liars. <laughs> no. You're one of them. No. <laughs> okay. Like I told you before, I'm not immature enough to have a microphone, but I got one, so let's go. Anyway, so, I mean, I, and so here's the deal. I've been praying. I've been asking for the Lord to grant to, to us, to you, to me, a real time of refreshing. I just really sense that that's something that the Lord wants for us. And we're seeing in that passage that a time of refreshing, where it comes from, is from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Pastors don't refresh people. Churches don't refresh people. Sermons um, for, you know, by themselves don't refresh people. 
the refreshment, the, the revi- reviving and, and the, the revising, those come from the Lord himself. And they come through his presence. And I, I you know, I've, I, I've talked on a related subject before, and I think many times Christians, we, we have a tendency sometimes to confuse um, and conflate the, a doctrine that has to do with the, God's omnipresence versus God's manifest presence, okay? Let me just spend a minute on this. Sorry about the big words, but to kind of point out what I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm going to flip to um, Psalm um, 139, which is kind of like the Swiss army knife of the Bible. I love Psalm 139. It just just uh, works in so many places. It's, a, it's a, you know, a Swiss army knife. There's a fork in there, and there's a knife, and, and a corkscrew, and like a TV controller, and all these different things. They're all in a Swiss army knife. This is Psalm 139. Verse, starting verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the lower parts of the earth, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. We can't get away from God. You know, turn to your neighbor and say, you can't get away from God. Turn to, the, turn to your neighbor, you can't get away from God. Say it with some stank on it. You can't get away from God. You can't. Even if you had wanted to, which, you know, sometimes I think we do, you, you can't, and, and, and because God's everywhere. Now, because God is everywhere doesn't mean that he's being equally manifested everywhere. That's why scripture tells us things like, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He can't draw near to you if he's not near, I mean, you, you follow me? So there's, there's, there's something going on here. And I think we have ample reason to seek the Lord because of the promises that he's made to us. So in Acts 3, which we just read when it says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We're talking about his manifest presence. His manifest presence. So, so uh, today we're going to be talking about, and today's topic will be, on the subject of being refreshed by grace. And our text passage is going to be found in Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy um, chapter 2. Now, the book, the, 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 the letters written to Timothy were unlike some of the other New Testament books, Philippians and Colossians. Those were letters that were written to churches. Um, Timothy is written to a person. So Timothy was Paul's protege. He was um, kind of a personal disciple. And at the point that this is being written, Paul's in prison. He's at the end of his life. He's not months or years away from the end. He's probably days or weeks. And so he dashes off this kind of like this final letter to his favorite disciple, and it's this list of final instructions. Now, um, I want to pray over the, the, the text as we get into it. Lord, as we now um, examine your word, help us to capture in our hearts and within our intellect what it is that you want to lodge there, not the ideas of mankind, not philosophies and opinions, but Lord, help us to know. And in fact, you promise us within the text that we'll be in today, you promise us that you will get, that, 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 you're, that you'll give us understanding of your word. We, we seek that and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. Now remember, he's talking to Timothy. You then, my child, this is so tender for Paul to call this guy his child. He's probably 40. But there's real tenderness there. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Refreshed 
by grace, refreshed by grace. Every, every Christian, I think, has heard hundreds of messages about grace probably over the years. And there's a two-word definition. I, I tried this with a sta- at a staff meeting. On, um, if, if, so is there a definition for grace? Have you heard it? Anybody? Out loud? Thank you very much. It always comes up. Unmerited favor. Way to go. Front row wins again. See? <laughs> See? <laughs> unmerited favor. And it's like, unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. I mean, I've heard it over and over again. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be. I guess I did mean to be. But anyway, it's just this. We hear this phrase, and preachers always focus on that definition. They focus on unmerited. Right? We, yeah. tend to, <laughs> we tend to do that. You know, they teach it. You don't deserve it. You, grace comes, you don't deserve it. It's, you don't deserve it. And um, I'm not going to be able to fix that for you because that's true. We don't deserve it. It's true. We get that part. I, I, I get that part. You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. It's free. That's why Ephesians is so clear on, on this in chapter 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not by works, lest any man would boast. Okay, so I get that. We get that. Salvation is by grace. You don't earn it. Hopefully you all get that, right? I get it. Okay. But can we just back up on that whole unmerited favor thing for a minute? That's true. It is unmerited favor. It is favor. And that's the thing. That's, that's describing God's disposition towards you is his favor. That's his default attitude about you. He doesn't choose to have. It's his, the default is to be favoring, favoring you. It's this unmerited, I get it. I understand the Reformation. Okay, so we can talk that through. I know what that's all about. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Everybody say, got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. But it's favor. It's favor, and that's God's thinking. You know, it's kind of like you know. Well, what kind of mood is God in today? Awesome mood. He's always. He's still got favor towards us. It's always that way. He's again. His disposition is to bless you. It's to 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 help you. It's to 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 assist you. To 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 aid you. And 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 Paul, in the final minutes of, of his life, says to his favorite disciple, "Be strong in the grace." He's basically suggesting, you're not going to be able to do this yourself. It's too hard. But God's disposition towards you is he wants to help you. He wants to give you what you need. So be strong in the grace. Be strong in that grace. And, um, and, and, and it's, it's unlimited. It's unavailable. I mean, it's available. Why would you want to live without grace when it's there available? And, and God is already prepared to do his part in this. It's like... How many times in the last week, Terry, did you, um, did the week for you, the day maybe begin for you without any sort of seeking or any sort of humbling? You know, how many times did I get up in the morning and, you know, I don't do coffee, I do other drinks in the morning, you know, some water, maybe some orange juice, definitely a Diet Coke. And I get up and I get my, my form of coffee in the morning and then I have that shower and you know, when I answer that text and I answer those emails and I get in the car and I'm heading off to whatever I'm going to do, and I, and I wasn't starting out my day strong in the grace. You know, I've done it. You've done it. We do it. We just, we just get so busy and we do that. And this, so this series is about times of refreshing. 
And our passage that we're going to be in today is going to give us some good help about how to do that. And I have the faith to believe that this week is going to be a better week for us. It's going to be a better week for you, and it's going to be somehow tied to how you position your attitude and your soul in the morning to prepare yourself to get under that grace. So if you're not strong in God's grace today, it could be because you've got a leak in the side of the boat. Okay? God's wanting to pour it in, but somehow it's getting out the side and the grace is available, and it's fallen like rain from heaven. I just, I, I just see this is who our God is. And um, so that's why Peter preaches this verse. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So I want to talk today about why aren't we strong in the grace? Somehow grace seems to trickle, to drain away from us. First off, I'm going to give you a couple reasons. First off is we have to eliminate the drain. Okay, first reason, 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me... Now, first off, let me just stop right there and say, in case you didn't know, I'm no apostle, okay? I'm just a pastor among millions of pastors out there in a sea of hundreds of millions of Christians around the world. So I'm just this dude, okay? And, but let's just say for this church family, for us... I've told you guys a lot of stuff from the Word of God, okay? If you've been here for a while, you've heard a lot of things from me. It's just me sharing with you, and I'm just this guy, but you've heard a lot of stuff from God's Word. And so this is key, though, because if you're not strong in the grace, notice, notice what he's saying, what Paul, Paul is saying. The things that you've heard from me, Paul says to Timothy, and I'm saying it to you, in the presence of many witnesses, check mark, witnesses, and trust what you've heard among all these witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. First principle we see here, we're going to call this the teacher principle. I transfer what I learn. Hoarding hinders grace. God only pours out so much to people who say, it stops with me. And um, so, I mean, for example, you've been taught some things and you've got a friend at work or you've got um, a friend in your neighborhood or you've got a family member and you know that they don't know the things that you've heard in, among many witnesses. And um, one of the reasons why maybe you're not as strong as you could be in the grace, listen, loved ones, is that you might be more like the Dead Sea than the Columbia River. You know the Dead Sea? Okay, it's the lowest elevation on earth below sea level and the water that goes there doesn't have anywhere to go so it's salty nothing living can stay there you know it's the kind of place where you can't drown yourself because like when you go into it you're actually on top of it you'll be float and um um it's it's you know it's just going to go away and that's it's just like with faith if your faith will go away if all you ever do is take in and never give out and um you know I mean, it's really common, uh, a common trajectory, and it probably is the first time you've heard it, because I know I've talked about this before, and it's this so common thing where we, we, we come to know Christ, and we're new in the Lord, and we're growing, and it's learn, 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 you know, we absorb it, but eventually we can, can come to a place where that changes, and, and um, now this is what we're talking about now is really foundational to discipleship, because your church's goal, our goal here is not to get you to attend church. 
although you should. Scripture says that's important for us to be forsake. Don't be like some who forsake the gathering of the church. That's, that's the habit of some. There's something about corporately being together and worshiping and cor- cor- corporately being together to learn and corporately being together to build each other up that, that so much so that the scriptures mandate it. And, and God says, go. Which, thank you for being here. I mean, well, well done. Um, but basically, there can come a place where, th- th- where, where things kind of change. And our goal isn't to get you to attend church. Do it. But that's not the goal here. The goal is for you to become disciples that reproduce other disciples. That's the Great Commission. Great Commission isn't to go out and get people saved. It's to go out and make disciples. Important distinction. That assumes that along the way, people are going to come to know Christ. But you're not only going to stop, you're not going to stop there. You're going to help them grow and help them become reproducing. I remember in my eighth grade biology class when the biology teacher said, you know, how would you define fertility in an animal? And the idea is, well, you think, well, you produce offspring. Uh-uh. In biology, in terms of biology, you're, you're fertile if your offspring produce offspring. An interesting challenge. And so one of the, the reasons that we may not be strong in the grace is that... Um, we don't get the grace that we need because we may come and we listen and we hear and we agree and, and we learn, but we feel no sense of personal responsibility to take what we've heard and learned and to somehow transfer it into the soul of people around us that need it. And, um, you know, hoarding is a drain on grace. I, I'm thankful for people in our education system. They're wired for this. How many public educators, teachers, or anything to do with the school district? Put your hands up. Let's thank our teachers. However they're there, however many they are, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, you know, uh, it's in their nature to transfer what they know to other people. That's what they go to work to do. And, um, I mean, that's, a, I think, teachers that are passionate. You probably, if you went to school and you've all gone to school probably, at least you look pretty smart, um, you know, you think back and you can think of a handful, maybe one, maybe ten teachers that really rose above because they were passionate about stuff and they transferred that passion to you. Can you think of who they are right now? I mean, that's who the church wants you to be in the lives of other people, passionate teachers. And um, by the way, maybe a plug, a, a shameless plug, on Sunday, the 1st of September, which is Labor Day weekend, we will be praying over students and everyone who's a part of the education system as they enter next year's, I don't know, if you're getting out of school right now, you don't want to hear about next fall. Let me have my summer vacation. Okay. Anyway, we're going to pray over students and, and educators in, in, on September 1st, so just put that away. Okay, so Paul says, verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will, by the way, catch that faithful. Don't just give this to anybody. Paul had picked Timothy, so pick people who want it. You know, don't, don't go out of here today and get on the phone and jam your sister with your faith again because you know she's going to hang up on you. That's not what this is talking about. Um, and you should check in with her regularly. You should love on her and you should share good news with her, but this is talking about people who will be faithful with what's being able to teach, people who will be able to teach others also. There are people out there who have hungry hearts. 
because the fields are ripe and the laborers are few. Entrust it to a faithful people who are going to build and teach other people. Okay, so number one, the teacher principle. I transfer what I learned. Another reason that I might um, have some um, grace draining out of my boat is um, that too, we're going to see this is the soldier principle. Verse three, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The soldier principle is this. My focus is on the mission because distraction drains grace. It drains the strength that grace brings. And, and soldiers get this. So the Holy Spirit here is inspiring the Apostle Paul to write and use these analogies from the professional world. First a teacher and now uh, a soldier. A teacher would never hoard. They like to transfer stuff. And a soldier would never get distracted. They, they got to focus. So um, I've not been in the military um, Eric and Lori, you know, Eric and Lori and their son Levi announced to them in um, January, I'm going to join the Marines, which was unexpected on their part. Um, and um, so we, we, we had heard from them uh, what life was going to be like for Levi as he went to boot camp. And um, uh, so I did a little look online, too, to see what they tell you if you're going to, if you're going to, I'm not going to join the Army or anything right now, um, but what, 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 what should I know if I'm going to go to basic? Okay, here's a few things. <laughs> okay, here, this is different than your civilian life. I'll just tell you right now. First off, no civilian gear. You can bring a few small toiletries, that's it. Second thing, no individuals. Everybody looks the same. Everybody's going to wear the same clothes. Three, no individual hairstyles. Okay, those of you who have, Lisa and I were uh, flying back from, um, <laughs> from, from Nashville from the conference and um, there was this woman sitting in this restaurant over from us and I said, honey, look at that woman. And um, she was a pretty gal, she, but she looked, I'm telling you, she looked like Tinkerbell. The, the Disney, you know, do you know, are you guys up on your Disney princesses? Technically, some say she's not a princess, but I say she is. Anyway, so she's, she, she wears this green dress, and um, she's kind of blonde, and her hair comes to little points, like she's got this pixie haircut. Is it okay if I know that word, pixie? Okay, so we look over there, and I'm not kidding you, this woman looks like Tinkerbell. And I'm thinking, okay, she's pretty, and that's cute. And I said, hey, honey, look at that woman, looks like Tinkerbell. She goes, oh, yeah, she does look like Tinkerbell. But then she got up from her table and moved around a little bit, and I saw her actual hairdo. Now, the top of her hair was this blonde thing going on, and it was cute. But when she moved, I could see what her real hairdo was. The sides of her head, this is nothing wrong with this. It's just you couldn't tell until she stood up. The sides of her head were completely shaved up to the center and across the back. So all this hair was coming from, I suppose, a patch this big. And no hair on the sides except she had these tufts on, uh, where her, and, and they were blonde and then the bottoms were, were green. Just like Tinkerbell would do. Now, I'm not criticizing the woman. I'm just saying, listen, if you join the army when you get your hair cut with all the other people getting their hair cut and say, I'd like to have green tufts with, they're going to say, no, you look up and down. You're going to look the same. There are no, okay, I wasted three minutes on the haircut. <laughs> Another thing is there's not going to be any contact with family and friends. You're not going to call your mama, so suck it up. Now, um, this will be about the point where I think, do we have a picture of, oh, it didn't come up? Oh, drat. Okay. Oh, that's disappointing because I brought this picture, um, and it's 
from Friday's graduation, Levi standing with um, Eric and Lori on either side of him. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I think he grew six inches as a Marine. He's, and um, so I'm sorry. If you hunt me down after church, I'll go get it on my phone. I'll show it to you. I apologize. But anyway, there's no calling mama while you're gone. Now, she did get a surprise call from him one day because his platoon, he was leading a platoon in basic and they won something and his reward was a two-minute phone call and the mom, thankfully, was at the phone when he called. So, but you're not going to call. And the reason that you can't call family and friends when you're in basic is, is because they cannot afford distractions. There's not going to be any personal possessions, no camera, no watch, no designer sunglasses, no personal freedom. They're going to give you your schedule. Go to bed. Get up. I know what you're thinking right now. Wow, where do I sign up for that? Yeah, it's like... You know, we, we like our freedom. We like our freedoms. We do. The soldiers can't afford the luxury of personal freedoms because it's a distraction. And another one is your, your bed's going to be made. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. Okay, because like Lisa and I have been married. We have this wonderful division of labor at our house. We've been married for almost 44 years. And um, I think the last time that I made the bed, I was probably... Nine. <laughs> I know. Lisa says 17. My mother says, no, you didn't make your bed when you were nine. I'm thinking, I, I made it at least once when I was nine, Mom. Maybe. Okay. So, you know, um, make your bed. But I, hey, but my mother, make, your mama's not here. I don't do, yes, you do. You make your bed. You make your bed. Okay. So that's another thing if you get in the military. Um, there's a, there are stricter laws and stiffer punishments than in civilian life. And you have to move year after year. And, and here's another thing. You carry out all orders without any personal expression of your opinion. Do it. Well, I really think we should, I don't want to hear what you think. Do it. Or something like, I think it's like this. Is this, uh, you know, okay. Is that closer? Okay, <laughs> a great, wonderful time of your life, I can tell. Yeah, feels good. Okay, okay. so anyway. And so this is just this analogy that the Holy Spirit is using because sometimes we lose the strength of that grace that, that it should be bringing to us because we get distracted. So another translation I like the wording from for the same passage, it says, this is the New King James, says, no soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. You and I have been given a mission, and we get, we are, we get distracted. We are very distractible people. Have you noticed that it's increasing? You ever see a couple out at the restaurant together alone, the two of them and their two phones? <laughs> you know? Since when was time better with a person on the phone than time with the person sitting with you? Anyway, we're distracted. And we get distracted. And I told you about it before. How many times did you get up this week and, you know, make your bed and um, do your personal hygiene and, and uh, get your cup of coffee and hop in the car? But there was nothing that got you into the middle of being strong in the grace where you have not taken the time to center your life on the Lord to look up and to be refreshed because we're distracted. We're just distracted. We wake up distracted. And we get up and we go out of our houses physically clean, but we're still somehow spiritually cluttered in our souls. Soldiers just don't do that. You know, they're on it. Soldiers don't have time to be distracted. 
is way too much on the line. They can't afford it. And uh, so Timothy, Timothy is telling us here, endure hard, hardness as a good soldier of Christ Jesus so that we don't get distracted. Okay, next principle, the athlete's principle. An athlete is not crowned unless he's competing according to the rules. So no matter how successful you are um, out there on the field of endeavor, if you break the rules, people are going to remember you for that. Now, I'm hoping that this next picture will work. Would you put that next one up and see if it works? I've got to figure out. Ah, there we go. Do you know who this dude is? Oh, groaning. Yeah. This guy used to be a hero of mine. I mean, I so enjoyed seven consecutive Tours de France winner, Lance Armstrong. Is that what he's remembered for now? He is at my house, but not really. Stay up there, Lance, for a minute. Cheater! <laughs> You're a cheater! He's a punk. He's worse than a cheater because he bullied people around him to cheat. Now, I've heard all of the arguments, and I, I'm somewhat sympathetic to some of them. Oh, everybody was doing it. Okay, I get that. I, I get that's probably true from this era. But his, this, what he's known for isn't the victories. What he's known for is the character. The character, you know, and, and nobody cares what you've done if you're a cheater. And, and nothing will ruin your life faster, yours and mine, if we decide to cheat on this, God's word. And these are, you know, God loves you. These are God's rules for you. And they're meant there to lead you to happiness and to joy and to life and to hope. And um, if you struggle this week to keep these rules, okay, it's all right. We all do that at times. And, and, but repent and turn to God so that your sins may blot it out and you may be refreshed from the presence of the Lord. And come back under the tender grace that the Lord gives and shows to the humble-hearted. Do that. So an athlete doesn't get the crown unless he competes according to the rules. You that's the athletic athlete principle. You play by the rules. You play by the rules. Scripture tells us, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, he'll reap. We'll see that in Galatians 6. Whatever you plant, you know, you're going to harvest. God will not be mocked. He's not going to let you mock him. And he wants to flood us with grace. He does. I want that grace, Lord. Why am I losing it? Why, why, maybe because we let it leak away. You know, there's a hole in the boat. Well, how'd that hole in the boat get there? Well, teacher principle. Transfer what I learn. Soldier principle. Focus on the mission. Athlete principle. Play by the rules. Okay, so number four. This is the last one in this list. It's probably the most important. The farmer principle. Feed yourself first. Verses 6 and 7. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Hard stop there for a second. I'm going to talk about the next verse, and then I'm going to come back to this. I'm not going to spend any time on verse 7 because this is a sermon series all by itself. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Did you know that the Lord will give you understanding that you don't have? And so I don't want to go down that trail. That is so tempting. But that's for another time. It's, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Imagine for a minute you're a farmer. Maybe some of you are. Now, I'm going to give you some farmer um, examples. And if you're a farmer, 
don't laugh at me. Uh, this is my best shot because I'm not a farmer, but let's just pretend that we're farmers and you've got um, your field out there. You've got a hundred acre farm and you're growing corn and you harvest, your harvest is um, a lot and you've got 20,000 bushels of corn. And so that's a banner crop and you're really happy and corn prices are up. And so you've got all this dough from selling your corn. And um, so you decide to take all of that money and buy another 100 acres so that next year you'll have 40,000 um, bushels of corn at the end of the year. That's a really bad decision. The really bad decision is that you can't take all of your fruit and use it for output. You have to have some to feed your livestock. You got to get some groceries because you got a year's worth that you got to feed your family. There are some other things here that have to be done first. And, and now listen, by the way, when Paul says the, the farmer should go first, he's not talking about God's portion. You understand that. He's not talking about the fact the first 10% of this isn't even the farmers. Some farmers will do that. They'll eat the seed, which is really what the Lord, the faith that the Lord is going to use to bless them. That's not what Paul's, Paul's talking about. He's talking about after that, feed yourself first. The principle here is the same as the children of Israel wandering in the desert and God literally rains food on them and says, go out every day and collect what you need for yourself. Every day. Don't get enough for today and tomorrow. If you try that, you eat today's and you put tomorrow's aside, tomorrow when you get up in the morning, it's got worms in it. It's rotting and it's icky. That was true of every day except the day before the Sabbath. You could collect enough for two days that day and then on the Sabbath when you got up, it was still fresh. It was a miraculous demonstration of God's, God's plan of provision. But the point behind that is you have to go and collect your own food yourself. You can't do it for someone else. The things that you and I need to, to do with God, we've got to do it on our own. It's got to be for us. And um, I mean, you, you may not realize it, but you, um, you know, the biggest construction project in the history of this church is standing in front of you right now. Me. I mean, maybe your big construction projects too. I, I can't speak to that. But there are a lot of things that I would do differently. I mean, maybe some things that I maybe would do better, but I am so thankful. I am so thankful for God's grace for me. I'm so thankful for his relentless pursuit in grace for Terry. And you also need to know that I don't get up in front of you here and, um, and preach sermons that, that I'm not working on, that aren't somewhere in my present and past that feels that I've been plowing. And you need to know that, that Sunday mornings is not the only time this week that I've been in the Bible. <laughs> you know, I know I understand and I get it that I have to keep my heart. I, Terry is responsible to keep Terry's heart tender and fed before the Lord. There is nothing worse than listening to a preacher who's feeding everybody else, but they're starving their own soul. It's, you might have seen it before. And it's, for me, it's the nourishing in God's word that has given me the strength to persevere through everything. When times have been tough, it's the word of God in the presence of the Lord. And maybe you've seen somebody who's telling Jesus, telling, telling the world all about Jesus, but they're starving their own soul. And, and, um, and the attitude was, well, I, you know, I come to church, Terry, and you'll feed me. Yeah, check mark, you know. 
I do want to feed you. And I pray that this, this, is, this is a rich feeding for you and that this is not milk. I, that's, what, that's what I intend when I come here. But you've got to understand, my job is I'm the guy at Costco in the white coat at the end of the aisle with a skillet, and I'm trying to get you to try the little thing with the sausage and the cheese on a toothpick. <laughs> I know, it sounds pretty good right now. You know, I'm that guy. And um, do you ever do that for lunch? <laughs> Look at a lot of people. Come on. A lot of you do that for lunch. You know, if you go with your wife and you don't hit them at the same time, you can say, I need two, one for me and one for my wife, and you take them. But then your wife goes, she says, I need two, one for me and one for my husband. You can double dip. And it's all free. Okay, so. But their goal isn't, their, their thinking is not that that will be a complete meal for you. It's a sample. They want you to go get the whole meal. And so that's me. I'm, you know, I'm that guy in the white coat. And what I'm doing right now is handing out prepared samples. That's all that this message is. It's supposed to be prepared samples. And, and I pray, you know, what my hope is that when we get together and, we sh- and I share here, that this prepared sample that I hand over to you will be enough to whet your appetite so that when you go home and you start thinking, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing, Holy Spirit, but I, I, I'm not waiting. This is Monday. I am not waiting till next Sunday. Come on. Let's go. It's not supposed to be, it's just supposed to be, you know, it's, 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 this is not supposed to be your meal. And um, this is just to be, to, to, to get something to stir in you so that you will say, I've got to go after something from me so that I can experience these times of refreshing the presence of the Lord. You know, um, if, if you... This is, might be a challenge, and I don't really mean to step on any toes. But if you haven't had enough of the cycles yet, where the cycle looks like this, you, um, you, you come to church and somehow the worship or the word or something somebody says to you stirs you up and you're all charged up and you feel good and you have this hope in your soul, but it's gone by Monday before noon. And... If, if you're still satisfied with that, if, you're, if, you're, if, if you aren't ready for that to be different in your life, I can't really help you with that. I want to help you with that, but that's something that, that I'm trying to lead you there. But that's what times of refreshing is all about. And maybe you're brand new to this whole thing where you haven't, you know, you've kind of around the edges, you haven't really given your life to Christ yet. I'm telling you what, I'm not at all fearful for you to be in God's word if you're not a Christian because God will meet you in his word. I promise you he'll be there. Or maybe it's, you've you've been a Christian for a long time and you just got to come back to this and you haven't been here for a very long time. This scripture is telling you, feed yourself first. Feed yourself first or there's this fallout that can happen. So that's the big one. Be strong, to be strong in the grace, the first thing we've got to do is eliminate the drain. And then the second thing we've got to do is exalt the Lord. Verse 8, he says these great words. Um, Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. This is Paul's gospel he's preaching. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. This is the apostle Paul we're talking about here. 
He's, he's in chain, chains for following Jesus. And, and this, this picture should forever dispel the idea that if you do everything right, life will be perfectly smooth. Because this guy has been doing it right, and he's in chains. And he's, you know, sometimes getting it right means suffering. That's just a fact. So he, you can, if you got your Bible with you, the next part's great to underline. But the word of God is not bound. Awesome. If what you really want is for the word of God to go out, <laughs> don't have any fear because... Even in your sufferings, the Word of God is not bound. Um, you maybe have heard of a guy named uh, John Bunyan. He wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress, um, uh, one of the most translated and published books in the world. Not nearly as close as the Bible, but it's a huge seller. He was this guy from the 1800s in uh, Bedford, England. And at that point, I think it was the 1800s, but he, it, at the time that he lived, um, the, the church was managed by the crown. And you went to that church. And if you didn't go to that church, but you studied words, the Word of God and went to a different church, you were considered a nonconformist, and it was illegal, and they'd put you in jail. It was like a three-month sentence, and at the end of that sentence, the law said you could recant what you'd been doing, and you'd be forgiven and be released after three months, or you could be executed. But they didn't execute a lot of people because um, they had politics there, too. He was in prison for uh, over a decade, a long time. And so he's in this little prison cell, and in the prison cell was one window way up high on the wall, and on the other side of that was another brick wall. And he's known because of what he did there. He got up every day, and he preached out that window to that other wall, the Word of God. Because, and what happened was this. People gathered there, and they heard the gospel. And over the time that he was in jail, thousands of people came to know Christ from... <laughs> The word of God, which is not bound. And he even said that I'm in prison, but the word of God is not bound. And no matter what you're facing or feeling, uh, remember that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, remember that, and then anticipate the victory of God's word. Because <laughs> you probably came to church to be reminded, we're going to win. There is victory coming in all of this. Scripture tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon. Isaiah. And Psalm 25 says, for those whose hope is in you, Lord, we will not be put to shame. So where's all this going? It's to be strong in the grace. I've run out of time, so here's the rest of the message. Bang, bang, bang. Okay? Eliminate to eliminate, we eliminate the drain. We exalt the Lord. Number three, here are the last two. Endure the hardships. And number four, expect accountability. Okay? And I'm going to let you study verses 11 to 13 yourself. It's kind of on purpose. I'm encouraging you to do that this week. I'm just going to read this and then pray, starting at verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, and that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory do that because it's our children, it's our grandchildren, it's our friends, it's our family members, people we know in Christ, enduring a lot, absorbing a lot for the sake of the work of Christ in your family. We do this. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy for if we had died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny, he will also, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, 
He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray for refreshing to come. And God, sometimes we um, let it slip away as it pours upon us because of the reasons we've talked about and for the reasons that you are speaking individually into our own souls today. And God, I don't preach um, that we're a bunch of backsliders and in trouble and we're lacking grace because of sin in our life because that's not what Scripture says and that's not the heart of this message. But there are things that you would talk to us, your sons and your daughters, about today. Lord, find open heart. Find a place for your love and your word and your life and your promise to land in our souls, we pray. We make our hearts available to you. God, I want to pray for people who... Today, they're not refreshed because they carry an extraordinary burden. I don't know if it's medical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's job-related or money. But God, every one of those challenges that we face are known to you. None of them have snuck up on you and surprised you. None of them have you back on your heels. Faithful God, loving God, pray, Lord, for a visit of your spirit upon us where mercy and grace would bring refreshing. Lord, where a lack of whatever has somehow caused us to lose faith, Lord, build that back up up in us. Your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've been in your word today, Lord. Would you kindle faith within us again today, I pray. And Lord, with refreshing and grace, we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.